Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Class is in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Hey everybody, welcome back. Today's show was a was a pretty fun conversation. It's it's crazy when you hear people's stories sometimes on what they've been through and how they're able to <laughs> still somehow keep going. And my next guest today, we had a we had like we had a great conversation, but I just couldn't believe her story. It's well, I could believe it, but it was like it's it's shocking that she still manages to keep her head up and still manages to keep going and you know build a business. So Kelly Mendehall joined us today. She's had one heck of a story. She's very good at storytelling, so I'm not going to get into it. I'll just say that it's a good one. Make sure you check. Make sure you listen to it right till the end. And then go check out her podcast. She'll talk about it in, in the episode. You guys will hear it all. So I don't want to give away too much. I feel like sometimes I give away too much in the beginning. So this is a fun conversation. You're going to learn a lot. It goes, there's a lot of, it's a roller coaster ride of emotion and stories. And I really enjoyed this. So Kelly Mendehall coming right up. Enjoy everybody. Kelly, what's up? Thanks for joining Hi. us on the show. <laughs> I'm really excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much for having me. When I got the email saying that you wanted me on the show and I was reading through it. Then I started listening to some of the episodes. I was like, wow, I feel like I hit a new status level of like, cool, you know, oh. like I hit a <laughs> cool level. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. But I mean, your story is incredible and it's, it's amazing that I get to have the privilege of connecting with people like yourself who have these like, just like dynamic stories and it's it's just like I don't like I said in when we before we even started recording I don't even know where to begin like it, there's just so many things and yeah I have a lot <laughs> I'm a, a renaissance woman I think is is what you would say yeah yeah that's <laughs> and you even have a podcast there's so much stuff that I'm excited to dive into but let's as I always do let's kick it off with just tell us a bit about your backstory you know, let us know for the, for those of you that don't know who you are and all they know is from the intro, give us yeah. a little insight into your life. Well, I am a recovering nonprofit professional and I say that with humor and truth because I, I think most people who work in the nonprofit sector know that you're generally working the job of two or three people and getting paid the salary of like half a person and it takes its toll on your body. And so I, I refer to myself a lot as a recovering nonprofit professional. I grew up very humbly. I grew up in Flint, Michigan and super blue collar background, but I got my bachelor's in political science and my master's in public admin from Eastern University. And I wanted to change the world. And I figured I would do that through working in nonprofit. However, 
rather suddenly in June of 2017, I became disabled and it happened seemingly overnight. That's not how it really happened inside my body. We just didn't know what was happening inside of my body. So I went from a person who lived with aches and pains and had been in some car accidents and kind of knew she had a quote unquote bad back to suddenly not being able to walk. And I could only shuffle my feet a couple of inches at a time. I had no range of motion. And sometimes my left leg would just fall out from under me. And so suddenly I was, I went from being this very busy person who was very success driven and like the checklist master, you know, always wanting to mark off the things on my list. And this person who was very driven by career accomplishments and and what I thought defined success in that realm to being a person who literally couldn't move off the couch. And I spent 10 months on the couch. And it was hard and it was painful. It, it still is. For those of you out there who see this video or listen to the episode, we're recording with me in my bed because I'm currently on bed rest awaiting a third neurosurgery. But I just decided to turn a mess into a message. And that's kind of how you found me is when I decided to turn a mess into a message, I said, okay, well, what does that look like? What do I want to communicate to people? Well, I want people to know that a diagnosis or a set of diagnoses don't have to be the end of your story. And we live in a time when you can get really creative about how you pursue income and how you generate revenue. And so for me, what that looks like is a network marketing skincare business, the podcast that you mentioned at the top of the show, which is a non-mama happy hour and writing. And I do freelance journalism. And then I published my, I, I wrote and published my first book this June called Skin in the Game, The Stories My Tattoos Tell. And then I'm working on my second book now, which focuses more on, I call it medical gaslighting. And it it's the bias that exists in the medical field against women reporting pain. And it's a proven bias that it, I mean, study after study in has shown that it exists. It's much easier for men to be treated for pain than it is for women. So that's what the focus of my next book is. But that's kind of how I got from there to here. Mm. And it's just a lot of tenacity. <laughs> yeah. And I, my brain is not the type that sits still. So even though my body was forced to be still, my brain was still racing and I still had all of these creative ideas coming. And so that's kind of how I got here. So what is the condition that you have? Well, I have degenerative disc disease, which a lot of people have. And most people, your discs degenerate as you get older. It's just part of being human. However, I have had some really rare ruptures in my discs in in very rare areas of my spine and it took just over two years to figure all of that out partly because doctors were accusing me of lying or making up symptoms because they would look they would hear what I was telling them about my symptoms 
And then they would do an MRI or another scan and they'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense because it's not showing up on the MRI. So you can't be experiencing that. And I'm like, I don't care if it shows up on the MRI, dude. Right. I can't walk. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and so finally, after many, many specialists and, and a surgery and a few other things, we finally know that I had two big ruptures. One was in my neck, which I had surgery on July 17th for, I had what they call a double laminectomy and spinal fusion in my cervical spine, which is the base of my neck. Basically what happened was one of the discs ruptured and bone fragments broke off and were floating around in my spinal canal and bumping up against nerves and causing all kinds of trouble. And then when I would move my head, like if I bent my head down or leaned back or looked to the side or anything, my vertebrae were shifting out of place. Wow. So that causes, that wreaks a lot of havoc in your neurological system. So I had that and I was recovering really well from surgery. And then several weeks ago, all of a sudden, my low back pain became so severe that normally I refuse opioid and narcotic medications unless I have a surgery. That's just a personal rule that I had because I wanted to avoid addiction. But all of a sudden it was so bad that no matter what I did, even if I was laying down or trying to do any of the stretching or any of the things that I had learned to do to help with a pain flare, it was getting worse and worse. And I, I started to not be able to walk again. I lost range of motion and I had to start using a walker. So I went to the emergency room and it turns out that I have this really rare rupture that's very big right where your thoracic spine, which is like where your ribs are and where all of your vital organs are held together, right where my thoracic spine meets my lumbar spine, which is your low back, I have this huge rupture hmm. and it has compressed my spinal cord to the point where my spinal cord is deformed. So if your spinal cord is straight, mine goes down straight, 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 and then there's a big loop and then it goes straight again. So I need a very complicated and rare surgery. I just found out last week that my neurosurgeon at our local hospital cannot do it because we need a cardiothoracic surgeon. And so I'm being sent to Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. Because in order to get to that type of rupture at that spot, I have to be That's surgery right. table. Mm -hmm. I have to be laid on my side and they do what's called a shark mouth incision. Don't Google it. You'll traumatize yourself. And then a cardiothoracic surgeon has to go in and deflate my diagram or diaphragm and deflate a little bit of my lung and move all of my organs and arteries out of the way so that the neurosurgeon can then get to my spine. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know it's scary as hell, right? <laughs> but wow. it should theoretically if it's a successful surgery, which I'm choosing to believe that it's going to be, then I should get back the strength in my legs and, and have a more normal life again. 
and not be on bed rest so much. So it's, it's an important surgery and it's inevitable. It needs to happen, but it's really scary. It's scary as hell. I bet. And you've (laughs) got, and that's, that's not even all the stuff you've gone through either. Like you had, (laughs) and I, I just, I, I wanted to kind of pause there because I want people to understand like the, the amount of stuff that you have gone through. And I mean, you can touch on whatever else you want. Like I know I have notes on it, but I, I, there's some stuff there that's pretty intense, but I want people to understand where you are at, what you've gone through and how you're still able to keep, like you you can tell you still have like a positive outlook on things, which most people would be like, I'm fucked. That's it. No more. (laughs) Yeah. I get that a lot. Yeah. You know, part of it is I can't help it. I have a compulsion and an innate sense of like advocacy. So when I see like what they say, when you see something, say something. Yeah. And I think my, my being a natural born advocate and activist has worked for me in this sense, because first of all, I was so used to advocating for other people that I knew how to advocate for myself when I started running into all these doctors that didn't believe me or, you know, and it wasn't easy. I mean, there were days when I would literally like throw myself on the floor sobbing and just be like, what am I doing this for? You know, and my partner, Nathan, who has stuck by me through all this would say, you're doing it to get better because you're, you're right and they're wrong and you can get better. And we know you can get better. We just have to figure out what's going on. I have had a, I've had a peppered life. (laughs) I've had a checkered past. Growing up in Flint, Michigan is not the easiest place to grow up. I saw my first gang shooting when I was seven and I grew up like in the fourth grade, my best friend had a bullet graze her head on the way to school because she lived in the north end of Flint, which is like the quote unquote bad part of town. And her, her mom's car, her mom and my friend Christy and her sister were driving to school that morning and there was a drive-by and they got caught in the crossfire and she had a bullet graze her head. Thank God it didn't it just grazed, you know, but that's the kind of stuff that I grew up with. Not, we would get like, I remember our last Christmas in Flint, we got starter jackets for Christmas and we couldn't wear them until we moved because kids were getting shot for their starter jackets. That was, that was the town in that documentary wasn't it there was yes a- there's been many <laughs> no i just yeah. remember that name all of a sudden flint i'm like where have i heard that before roger and me is a documentary that the first documentary about it was by michael moore was roger and me there's a netflix series called flint town oh wow which follows flint police officers and <sighs> and their you know their daily life it was also in Bowling for Columbine a little bit. That's, that's the one. That's the one I remember. And then most notably in the last several years, it is known for the Flint water crisis where... Because you guys have had a lot there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was a tough place to grow up. And it went from... I mean, it was at one point this huge mecca of 
industry and you know it was buick city and and gm was it gm built the town and my family ended up there because my grandfather was uh, a polio survivor living in northern minnesota and he got a letter that said hey you should come up to flint michigan because this this new car company general motors they'll put you through school and and give you a job and he did it and he worked his way up from the assembly line to becoming an engineer and he eventually retired as one of the head engineers but it's a it's a tough place to grow up and then from there as an adolescent i lived with stepbrothers who were abusive to my mom and i they sexually abused me in different ways and also physically assaulted me and we had a lot of violence and chaos in that house and that was how i first developed post-traumatic stress disorder we lived in that environment for about three years and i'm 37 now and i'm i still have what's called complex ptsd which means there are many there have been many traumas that piled up on each other and and so i still live with that and living in chronic pain unfortunately exacerbates ptsd and mdd so i went from being an adolescent and having all of that to okay well then i'm on the other extreme of hanging out with like gang members and thugs because they kept me safe i graduated high school a year early when i was 16 years old completely bombed my first year of college had like a 1.1 gpa eventually went back and had this really great guidance counselor named cole who later it turned out was actually on the fbi's most wanted list and had been on the run for 40 years as a fugitive you gotta be kidding me (laughs) he's yeah it's a crazy story and i write about it in my book so kind of i'm kind of taking you through the time this is like a freaking movie so you can't can't make this shit up no (laughs) it's you know when they say life is stranger than fiction that's literally me like that's yeah i hear you on that so yeah then you know so then i went through this period of agoraphobia and not being able to leave the house and not being able to talk to strangers and that was all connected to the ptsd and i had to work really hard on that and i was only 19 and 20 when that when that was going on but i eventually got i i got a lot better and i was doing really well and i put myself through college and then i put myself through grad school and as i was finishing grad school and I was 28 years old I had no health insurance and the job I was working at the time was a temporary job and for the first and only time in my life I got pregnant and I thought well fuck (laughs) what am I gonna do now I'd always been on birth control because I had hormone issues when I was younger so I'd been on birth control since I was like 14 So getting pregnant was never part of the plan. And I had always been pro-choice, but in the back of my head had always hoped I would never have to make that choice for myself, right? Mm. I was totally cool with other people making decisions about their body, but I didn't want to have to make that choice for myself. But at 28 years old, 
realizing that I have no job prospects. I'm in my last year of grad school. The guy I had been seeing, it had only been a few months. I had been drinking like alcohol and, and I was on mental health medications, which can be incredibly dangerous for a pregnancy. And I was just like, what the hell am I going to do? And so I decided to have an abortion. Now, I didn't tell that many people about my abortion. For a long time, it was a secret from most of my family and my friends. And I always felt like I was living a double life, especially moving to the Bible Belt, which Tennessee is, is often referred to as the buckle of the Bible Belt. When I moved here and was working in nonprofit, I was like, oh my God, if they ever find out anything about my past, like, like anything about my past, if they find out about the sexual assaults, if they find out about the abortion, if they find out about, you know, the fact that I used to hang out with criminals or whatever, like they're like, I'm done for. So I, I was living with all this stupid, arbitrary shame and guilt. Yeah that I was putting on myself based on what I assumed other people would think of me. And that was exhausting. Living, living in a way where you're trying so hard to hide so much of yourself is fucking exhausting and it wasn't worth it anymore. And so when I became, when I became disabled and stopped being able to work, Honestly, one night I was talking to God and I said, I need something like I need a light at the end of the tunnel. It's been almost a year. We still don't know what's wrong with me. The pain is killing me. I need something. I need a reason to live and to keep getting up every day. And the next day I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on the couch which I was eating a lot of at the time because I couldn't stand long enough to make food. So my boyfriend would just like slap me together a sandwich real quick. And I'm eating the sandwich and all of a sudden it's like a light bulb goes off in my head. And I said, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book and it's going to be called the stories my tattoos tell because all of my tattoos represent all of these different events and people and times in my life. And they, I've always said when people ask about my tattoos, because I'm six feet tall and have like a whole sleeve on one arm and most of a sleeve on the other. I mean, I have a whole chest plate tattoo. I stick out in a crowd, right? So like people ask about tattoos all the time. And I would say that they, they told my life story if you knew how to read it. And so all of a sudden I had this idea, like, why not, why not write the story? Very cool. And I decided to come out about my abortion on my podcast and in the book because I'm one of those people that's like, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And abortion is such a contentious issue, especially in the States. Mm -hmm. And people get so emotional about it on either side. And what people don't realize is that you literally, like every single one of us knows at least one woman who's had an abortion because one out of three women have abortions. Yeah. 
and so but this stigma was persisting of like only godless liberal whores get abortions right especially living in the south that's it was that's the pervasive thinking and i was like as the me too movement was really kicking off and and abortion kept coming up in all the news cycles and politicians were all talking about it to get reelected or elected i was like i have to stop hiding from this and because someone out there that i haven't even met yet needs to hear my story and they need to know that they can get through it and so that's why i made the choice to come out when i did about it and it's honestly been one of the most freeing and cathartic things I've ever done. Like writing my memoir, it was hard to write at some points. It would trigger flashbacks and, you know, there were, there were things that I wrote about that were hard to write about. But the process itself was very cathartic. It's very good, I think. And a lot of critics seem to really like it too. And I have women reaching out to me all the time, thanking me for telling my story and on the podcast and and in the book and you know sharing stories with me about how they were hiding their shame over their sexual assaults or their abortions or you know all these different things and how they felt like I gave them a voice like mm. like I was giving the gift of a voice to the to all these women who felt voiceless and I mean, what more could I ask for than that? You know, I wanted to change the world. Like that's what I set out to do with my adult life. What better way to change it than to help heal people? I completely understand. I'm the same boat as you. Like I, the more you can tell your story, the more you heal as a human and the better you get at telling it so that people can get impacted. Like the first time you tell it is probably, you know, you're nervous and it was harder. Now you're getting better at, you can tell you're good, you're good at telling the story, but that as you tell it more and more, you get better at it. And that creates that inspiration for people. Like they, they want to be like, Oh, okay, well she did it so I can do it. Right. And, yeah. and the first step is just owning what you are. And there's just so much of that shame. I think that people live with that we, we're, we just forget that we're in this human experience and like, we're not perfect and shit happens. Right. Yeah. And you just got to understand that, okay, you know, what did I learn for? What has it done for me? And it's like, you got to move on. It's easier said than done, but I go through this too with my past and stupid shit I did and, you know, stuff that I regret, you know, even with, within losing family members and then looking back in hindsight, you know, you go, well, what if I would have said this or done that? And you could just beat yourself up and create these narratives consistently yep. over and over again. And you could never be happy because you're trying to live, recreate this thing. Yeah. Right. And it's all based on like arbitrary rules that we yeah. set for ourselves based on what we assume other people think. So there's a couple of things in answer to your question of like, how do I keep the positive attitude? There are a few concrete things that have to happen. One is I have to consciously work on my mindset every single day. I have, I'm in, I have 
a, a whole team of caretakers at this point. I have a neurologist, a pain management specialist, a neurosurgeon. I'm about to have a second neurosurgeon. I have a trauma therapist and a psychiatrist who specializes in trauma and chronic pain because that's a whole animal in and of itself. So I have to put a lot of work in and a lot of people don't want to do the work. It's hard and it's scary and it's easier just to like curl up inside yourself and, and give up. But I, and I don't, everybody's journey is different and I don't judge how anybody deals with the challenges that they face. But for me, giving up isn't an option and even though there were times in my life that I had suicidal ideations and I thought I wanted to die, it wasn't really that I wanted to die. It was just that I didn't want to live like that anymore, you know? Of course. And the pain was definitely, the pain that I experienced in 2017 and 2018 definitely pushed me to that brink. And you, ha you have to fight. I have to fight my mindset every day. And what kind so, of mindset things do you do? Like give us some examples. I try to avoid saying I can't do something. My therapist is really big on like our subconscious yeah. is open for business 24 seven yeah. and it absorbs whatever we feed it. Yeah. So I try to avoid saying I can't. Instead, she want, like she's always coaching me to say, say you won't. Like when I finally decided to get pain management through opioids to get me through until this next surgery, because it was so bad, I, I said to her, I just couldn't do it again. And she said, don't say can't, don't say couldn't, say you wouldn't do it again because you've suffered enough and you don't have to keep suffering. Mm -hmm. I also try to avoid what she calls church words, which are like built to shame and guilt us, which include things like supposed to or should have or I should do this like it's really easy to get in this mental spiral of like I'm only 37 I should be able to work full-time in a regular job and get my shit together and da, 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 and contribute to my household and make a great income that's bullshit that's arbitrary bullshit that we put on ourselves based on societal norms and like the culture of consumerism and capitalism what my truth is is that i'm 37 years old and even though i'm laid up in bed or on the couch so much of my time right now even though that those things are my truth i'm also still running a business a virtual network marketing business with skincare i still wrote a book i'm still writing my second book I just designed an entire merch store around Nerdzilla. I, I blog, I do a podcast. So, you know, it, it's all about like, what is your truth? Don't tell yourself what you should do or what you're supposed to do based on what somebody else said to you. I did everything I thought I was supposed to do. Yeah. I went to school, I got good grades. I went to grad school, I got good grades. I got my master's degree. I got certified in public administration and nonprofit management. And I went out into the world yeah. and I worked my ass off 
you followed the rules. You did, yeah. you did all the things. <laughs> I did all the things they tell you to do. And I did all the volunteer work and the, vol you know what I'm saying? Mm. And like, and the mentoring and the, I did everything that you're supposed to do to have a successful life. And then my body fell out from under me and all of that, like, like my job and my coworkers and everything that I thought I knew was gone because as soon as I couldn't get to the office every day, nobody thought they didn't think about me for two seconds. Yeah. It's crazy how people forget. Yeah. I mean, as soon as I wasn't in the office anymore, it was like I had never been there and my job would not allow me to come back with any restrictions whatsoever. So it basically forced me into disability mm. and and it was just like, I did everything I was supposed to do. And, and I bet on all this, I took all the safe bets and everything fell apart. I'm not going to bet on anybody else, but me from now on, like I am my safest bet because if I've proven anything to myself, it's that I'm tenacious as fuck mm -hmm. and like, and very resourceful. Yeah. And, and I'll get, I'll get shit done. Yeah. You know, however I have to. Well, it's very admirable. I, I commend you. Like, that's amazing that you're been able to, I mean, just, you have to have a level of mindset to be able to create what you're creating. Like you've already done the system stuff, the going through the school and then to have to like go and all this stuff happening to you to then be able to create this entrepreneurial journey and podcasting that takes a level of belief that you need. And that doesn't just happen. Like I, I understand that. Yeah. It's, it's constant revisiting. It is. And you have to be every day. You have to tell yourself, mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of every day, I have to say to myself, okay, did I do the very best that I could today? Well, as long as I keep doing the best that I can, and as long as I live my most authentic life, everything else will fall into place. It's not easy to believe that all the time. Sometimes you're questioning everything you do. You're like, oh man, should I just go back to like trying to live a more mainstream life? I'm sure everyone who's an entrepreneur or podcaster thinks that at some point, but yeah. Yeah. But you have the choice. It's either you believe or you don't believe your subconscious will just take the one that's the one that's more prominent. Like if you say yeah. you don't believe more then you're just going to not believe there's only two choices there, right? Well, and I think, like, I think I got lucky with my mom and, yeah. and that's something that I was just writing about recently on Facebook. My mom is one of the strongest and most tenacious people I know. When I was four years old, my dad died of esophageal cancer. He'd only been sick for about six months before he died. It was a very sudden thing. My mom was 29 years old. She had no high school diploma and she had a four-year-old, a six-year-old and a 13-year-old. So imagine that. Mm -hmm. And it's 1986. Mm -hmm. And she had not been working outside the home because she was a homemaker and a mom and everything. And, and suddenly she's a widow. So she had always been, she had learned from a very young age to sew and she was always quilting and making stuffed animals and doing all this kind of stuff. So after dad died, 
she went and took a class at Bev's house, which was like interior decorating wallpaper and paint store. And I'm pretty sure I had to go play with the sample books the whole time she was taking the class, you know, four years old. So she takes this class on how to follow patterns to make draperies. And then she opens her own business from our house called Hometown Draperies. And that was how she supported us wow. through, our, through our young childhood. So she was home all day, every day while we were at school working on the draperies. But then also, I mean, she was up making us breakfast every morning and she packed my lunch for school every day. And like, we always ate home cooked dinners. But my mom never, ever, ever, ever told me that my dreams were too big or too ridiculous or impossible. She encouraged every single one. Mm. When I was turning eight, I begged for a typewriter for my birthday because I wanted, to, I loved books and I, I wanted to grow up and be a writer. She got me the fucking typewriter when I was eight years old. Awesome. When I was in college, I mean, she really encouraged me to pursue English language literature. And I kind of chickened out because I was like, what if I can't make it as a writer? So I kind of chickened out, switched to poli sci, and then went the nonprofit route. But when I wanted to go to El Salvador for a study abroad, she was like, okay, what do we have to do? When I wanted to go to London for a study abroad, she's like, okay, what do we have to do? When I, when I was 12 and I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist, she found a way to get tickets to take me to SeaWorld so I could like go see the dolphins and whales. I mean, every That's single dream. That's important. Yeah, every single dream. And she still does it. Like no one talks about my book more than my mom. That's amazing. I just, my mom is rocking a Nerdzilla phone case on her phone right now. Yeah, I, I, I've been meaning, I wanted to ask you that in the beginning. Tell us what Nerdzilla is. So everybody, she's got like a middle name. That's like your nickname, right? Yeah, yeah. Nerdzilla is a nickname that, and I, this is in the book too, so you can get the full story if you read it. But my friend Shane gave me the name Nerdzilla when he found out that I was going to grad school. <laughs> because we were on the phone talking, and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm... I'm registering for my classes. And he goes, what do you mean? Like you just graduated like last year. And I said, well, yeah, but I decided to get my master's. And he was like, are you fucking kidding me? And, and he was, he comes from a family of pro wrestlers. He was the third generation in his family to be a wrestler professionally. And so he was like, dude, from now on, I'm calling you Nerdzilla because you are literally the biggest nerd I've ever met, like, in my life. I was the only person he knew that went to college, let alone grad school. So it was a nickname that stuck. And when I became disabled and started to blog about my experiences, I was like, well, what am I going to call my blog? And so I called it Nerdzilla Lives. Mm. And I had gotten a tattoo done of Nerdzilla in 2016. I told my tattoo artist, Jason, I want a Nerdzilla. He drew it up. It was hilarious. Nerdzilla is holding an inhaler in one hand and like a pencil in the other hand. And he's slipping on a banana peel. And like, it's a hilarious tattoo. And it was perfect. 
so it was a nickname that turned into a tattoo. And then when I started my blog, it became Nerdzilla Lives, kind of saying like, I'm still living, even though I'm stuck on the couch, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just started growing from there. And everybody started to know me as Nerdzilla. So then when I decided to write and publish my book, I started my company called Nerdzilla Media. And I started doing a lot of like freelance editing and and proof proofreading, freelance writing work, and published my book and everything. And then my podcast co-hosts, when we were talking about the implant surgery that I was having where they put, it's called a dorsal column spine cord stimulator and it it's implanted into my spinal column and there are electrical like electrodes that send electrical currents through my spine at the nerve roots that control what I feel in my legs. And the idea is that they interrupt the signals so that the pain signal doesn't travel from your leg, like whatever affected body part, in my case, the leg to my brain. And so we were talking about it on the podcast and she was like, wait a minute, doesn't that mean you're going to be a cyborg? Mm -hmm. So then that became a running joke about me becoming a cyborg. And so when I said something to Jason, who had drawn the original Nerdzilla, he was like, oh my God, Mecha Nerdzilla. So then he drew a Mecha Nerdzilla version and I, people will spot me in public and be like, wait a minute, aren't you that Nerdzilla girl from Instagram? Or like, aren't you the girl that wrote the book about her tattoos? And I guess I've done a really good job of branding myself because now even when my like toddler niece and nephew see Nerdzilla, they, they know they're like, yeah, Kelly, mm, you know, that's awesome. so so that's how that happened. And I just made a merch store with like hoodies and iPhone cases and tote bags and, and I mean, just all kinds of stuff with the Nerdzilla and Mecha Nerdzilla illustrations on them. So it's pretty fun. Awesome. Well, you're, you definitely, wow, you're, you're creating a lot. That's, it's, <laughs> it's great. And, you know, well done and, and good on you for being able to, you know, you're obviously still creating and I look forward to seeing what else you, you come up with. Cause it's, I mean, it's great. You're making the best out of a bit of a shitty situation, right? So. Yeah. That's kind of where the term turning a mess into a message came yeah, from. I like that saying. I like that. Cause like you don't, I mean, every good business coach you hear will say you're the hero of your own story mm-hmm. and everybody loves a hero. And, and that really stuck with me and I appreciate you having me on and and talking with me and I mean everybody who reaches out or I mean every piece of merch I sell or book I sell I mean that's all one step closer to generating income that where I'm not constantly panicking about medical bills and stuff Mm -hmm. like that you know so it I I celebrate every single little thing every every sale and and everything and and it means a lot to me that people give a shit about what I have to say. 
you know you're a good speaker you're very good at talking like i can tell you have a podcast because even even <laughs> like even talking into the mic the way the mic that you have is good so i can tell it's like oh okay the sound is going to be good on this one sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not as good and i'm like shit i know that it's not going to sound as good as it could be but i can trust tell. me <laughs> i empathize because we sometimes <laughs> interview people like more our podcast tagline is that we are the podcast that celebrates real ass human women, whether they use their baby box or not. And oh, cool. <laughs> and so, yeah, because we got sick of both Debbie Joe and I, my co host, don't have kids. It's a conscious decision we've made not to have kids. Me, especially at this point, if I were to get pregnant, I mean, it would kill my body. You yeah. know, my, my body just couldn't do it. And we felt alienated and isolated from the network marketing community and from the women in business community because so much of it is focused on like being a mompreneur or yeah. you know I'm doing this so I can stay at home with my kids and that wasn't us and so yeah. we'd be we'd be in this training or a workshop or whatever and we'd be like yeah we're really feeling it and then all of a sudden it would shift to like the mom talk and we'd be like oh well this isn't for us anymore. You know, I actually, it's interesting you say that because I had a guest a while back, Heather Havenwood, I believe her name is. And she was the same way. She was like, I'm a businesswoman. I'm, I'm, I don't have kids. I'm, I, you know, what about us? And I was like, you're totally right. Not everybody has a family. That doesn't mean if you don't want to have a family, don't have a family. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful in your own right. Yeah. Oh, you know? and there needs to be, it, it, I know what you're saying. Cause like, that's definitely you know, and kudos to them for being moms and kudos to you for not. I mean, whatever, right? Well, and that's the thing is like women, we believe that women have an innate badassery that comes just with being a woman and surviving as a woman, especially with the statistics about sexual assault and abuse and, and domestic violence and things like that. And there's so much more to women than whether or not they have kids, even moms have more of a story than just the fact that they're moms and that's what we wanted to highlight was we wanted to celebrate all women whether they have kids or not but not because they have kids or don't have kids but because of the cool shit they do in the world and yeah, like that's... the impact that they have so sometimes we interview guests last week we had win kelly on and she is, she was born with cerebral palsy and severe scoliosis. And she has two podcasts and she's written two books. And I mean, she's just another, another person like me that just like doesn't stop, you know? Amazing. And then, but most weeks, what we'll do is like, we'll pick a badass woman to tell each other about and tell their story and what they did in the world and how they impacted it. And a lot of times it's women that you don't really know very well, or you think you know them, but you only know like one aspect of, of who they were. Like Maya Angelou, I didn't know that she was an actress and a singer and, and on top of being a poet and an author and all these different things. And then the other thing that we've learned in doing the podcast is that there's a lot of things that women have done in the world that men got credit for. <laughs> Oh yeah. And so we talk about those stories a lot too. Like there was a woman who was studying brain science and neuroscience and got a brain tumor and she was documenting her own 
symptoms to contribute to neuroscience about her own brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And like she documented it up until the point where she couldn't anymore because she wasn't able to write. Yeah. And like the the game Monopoly was originally called the landlord's game and it was designed by a woman. And I mean there's just there's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Edmund Scott Fitzgerald's wife actually wrote a lot of the stuff that he stole and published as though it was his own and then he had her committed. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure it's happened tons in the past. I mean, yeah. So it's a fun podcast. Like it sounds serious and like a bummer, but we have a lot of fun. We both have really good senses of humor. So we play off each other a lot and, and we have a lot of fun and there's a lot of laughs too, but yeah, it's just, a, it's about celebrating all women and going beyond whether or not they have kids, you know? Amazing. Where's the best place for everybody to find you? Well, probably my personal website is nerdzillakelly.com. My podcast website is anonmomhappyhour.com. And we're we're on all of the social needs, as my millennial partner, Debbie Joe would say. She says, give it a goog and social needs all the time. I'm the elder millennial. She's 27. I'm 37. So you're only one year older than me. I just turned 36. <laughs> so we're, we're the same age. It's like Almost. It's different though, right? Like yeah. there's like the elder millennials who are I like, know. well, we saw the, we saw the change happen. Yeah. We, we know what it's like before all that. Like, right. Right. Like crazy. crazy. I, I miss the feeling of slamming a phone down when you're pissed off at somebody and totally. like physically being able to hang up. What's crazy? <laughs> so yeah, those are the best places to find me and there's links from awesome. there to all the different podcasts and books and We'll have them all linked in the show notes for you. So the the final question I always end this to wrap it up is what has what was one lesson or the number one lesson that adversity has taught you? It sounds super cheesy and trite and past Kelly was annoyed by it, but life happens for us, not to us. And I truly believe that now because if my body, if, if God in the universe had not like struck down my body and been like, all right, bitch, sit still then I would have only, I would have kept only half living and I would have stayed in a career path that I thought I was supposed to stay in, not making enough money, constantly stressing out about student loan payments, you know, not following my real dreams, which was to be a a paid writer and, and things like that. And so everything that has happened in my life had to happen for me to end up where I am right now. And so I truly do believe that life happens for us, not to us, but we don't always see it when it's happening. It's hard when you get a flat tire right after, you know, like on the way to work or whatever to be like, there's a reason this happened, but it really does make sense. It really, it really does. Yeah. It's Tony, classic Tony Robbins. I mean, that's so true. I mean, I, I always say that too. It's in, it's your perspective, right? It's yeah. happening for us. If it, it, you know, we're not, you, you can't be a victim of circumstance. You know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta be, 
you know, you got to understand that whatever's happening is serving you in some way. And there's always going to be, the sun's always going to come out. It's going to get, it'll still be rainy one day. You know, it's, you always got to keep that balance. And yeah, that's just the way life rolls. My therapist makes me say as a mantra to myself, it's just a bad time in my life. It's not a bad lifetime. And it's again, it sounds cheesy or trite, but if you can really believe that and say it to yourself until you believe it, it gets a lot easier to deal with the speed bumps in life. You know, it really does. And like, I mean, I wouldn't have met you and gotten to hang out with you today if everything hadn't happened to me that did. I have a whole slew of podcasting friends and friends all over the world that we send each other spoony care packages of like Mm -hmm. cheer up you know like when we're going through bad flares and stuff none of that would have happened so yeah it's it's the best and worst thing that ever happened to me i'm the same i wouldn't have this show (laughs) if i didn't go through all the stuff i've gone through as well so yeah it's a gift and yeah i'm i'm truly grateful to have a chat with you it was a lot of fun lots of value. And I just, I wish you the best and keep on, keep on creating, keep on doing what you're doing. And, you know, I'm excited to see what else you can create. Well, thank you so much again for having me. And I really enjoyed it. I hope I didn't talk your ear off too much. No, it was really good. It was was very, yeah, it's a powerful story. Well, thank you. And I really appreciate you giving me a space to share it. Absolutely. There's somebody out there that'll get value from that even if it's just one person, you know, and that's, that's why what we do is so important. So. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have an amazing day. All right. Take care, Lance. Thanks everybody. Thanks so much guys. Check out Kelly, go find her. She's got all the information in the show notes. Go check her out, support her, let her know that you heard about her on here. Share this episode with a friend subscribe, leave a review, whatever you can do to help. I love you guys. Have an amazing day.